0: And welcome to Sign of the Crime. This is Remy Ramirez. This is Q McGrath. And thank you all so much for giving us a little extra time. Q had a death in her family. A little grace. I need a little grace. Um, so
1: I had a dog. Uh, and, I, you know, those of you that have dogs know that they're family. Um, he was an English Mastiff, his name was Buckus and if you're a bears fan then that will be self-explanatory for you and if you're not google is your friend um but he uh we had him since he was 7 weeks he was basically my first kid um and he he's been having some he was having some trouble we thought it was his hips because he's an English Mastiff, big dogs. Uh, we just we thought it was his hips. We went to the vet over and over. They told us it was his hips. It wasn't his hips. It was cancer. Um, it was osteosarcoma. And we found that out when his leg snapped like a twig. And um, it was hard. The kids have never known life without him. He was around when Olivia showed up and when Bucket showed up. And he you was mean, 11. When
0: Jude showed up.
1: When shoot showed up, sorry. What did I say? When, I'm tired. It's
0: okay. When when up, yeah, he, was up,
1: he was around when Bucket showed he up. He was around when Buckus showed up. Um, yeah, and also also I mix up Jude and Buckus all the time. <laughs> because they're both a lot of work. Um, but anyway, uh yeah, he um he snapped his leg like a twig and we found out it was cancer. And uh if there's anything I want to tell you guys, it's if you have large dogs, large breed dogs. Uh, it's very normal to assume that when they start having trouble getting up, that it's uh hip dysplasia or hip issues. And the vets will tell you that, uh, get a, get a, get a bone scan, get an X-ray, a $70 X-ray would have told us everything, uh, before it got so bad. And, um, Anyway, we, we took him to a bunch of specialists. We were desperate to try and figure something out. He'd been around 11 years. We were kind of hoping we'd get like 12 or 13 out of him. Honestly, 11 years is a really long life for a, an English Mastiff, but we wanted more. We were being greedy and we just didn't get it. So he went over the...
0: Oh, cute. it's okay.
1: I'm
0: sorry. No, it's okay. Anyway. Oh, I snorted no anyway. no but it's the cutest little snort <laughs> so cute anyway he went over the rainbow bridge last saturday and as a result um you know it Q was it was her turn to um edit and i was remy was working remy was like in new york like not even
1: able to i mean I didn't even ask her and I wouldn't have. It was really my turn. Like you guys have no idea how much it was my
0: turn and it didn't matter anyway. She just wasn't able to do it. So I would have done it. It was just like, I knew there was, and I was just like, let's just fucking take another week. Let's just take it. Yeah. It's
1: just, we needed, we needed a minute. I mean, Remy, honestly, you were upset too. I mean, Buckus has been part of both of our lives. And I
0: love Buckus, but mostly I was just really fucking concerned about you because I knew like, (laughs) you're not, you're not overtly emotional, but when it comes to the, people in your life and the dogs and, and the pets in your life that you love you are so tender-hearted and I was totally fine for us to just take another week so thanks to all of you for giving us another week um for the patience appreciate the patience and the good news is though is
1: that because we are doing a two-parter yet again um we can just put this one out next Thursday so this
0: Thursday this Thursday yeah this coming. Next Thursday. Okay, right? This is a real question that I have when people say next something.
1: Well, today is Sunday. So I would assume that's the last day of the week. So it's next
0: Thursday. See, th- but see, in my mind, I'm like the Thursday coming up. That's this Thursday. It's this one coming up. And the next one is the one after that.
1: Uh, okay, but you're wrong. Uh,
0: see, I think I'm right. <laughs> but I think everyone errs on on your side. But I think I'm right.
1: (laughs) I think that everyone (laughs) erring on my side is what makes me right.
0: Look, you know, there's a lot of like people going along with the wrong shit in this world. I mean, ain't that God's truth, though. Okay. (laughs) No argument here.
1: Speaking of people doing the wrong shit, uh, if you are a murderino, then you know that there was a huge break in the Delphi case.
0: Yeah. There's Um, an arrest. Okay. Okay. First of all, what the fucking fuck, because, and we were just chatting about this, this guy has never been mentioned as a, as a suspect. Not once. No, not once. Wait. And also to review, I mean, I'm probably most of you know, but if you don't know about this case, it happened like what, like six years ago, 2017,
1: I was pregnant because I remember having a very visceral reaction to what happened. So
0: going on, going on six years ago and it was February of 2017. Two um, young, like 13 year old girls went in like the middle of nowhere. I mean, it'd be an Abbey. Yeah. Just yeah. like a small town. They went hiking together. They were just cute, sweet, smart, awesome girls, babies, yeah, baby girls, babies, and like their parents dropped them off. They were going to pick them up in an hour or whatever it was.
1: And older sister, I think dropped them off. Okay. Ugh. Older sister. Heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. And, uh, some fucking fuck. Uh, ended their lives and their bodies were found they had been sexually assaulted and from what it sounds like from what you were saying they had been um well the truth we don't we don't actually i don't think we have a lot of information about how they died and and they've done
1: that on purpose and and there are a lot of people who find that very frustrating but i from what i understand the cops are playing it close to their chest because well, I, I now they found the person they believe they found the person when they found the person responsible they wanted to make sure that because this was the kind of case where you get the crazies who are like i did it you know this is the john Binet type of case and they wanted to make sure that when they found the person and if they were able to get that person to supply details that they it wouldn't be stuff that was out in the news that that's what i think sure um i think that they were trying to to weed out craziness um in doing that, however, it frustrated a lot of people because, you know, I mean, there were a lot of armchair detectives out there who wanted information and wanted to try and help. And, and you know, the police weren't giving it. But, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, it did take six years, but apparently they have arrested Richard Allen. That's the name, right?
0: Yeah. That, I think that's his name.
1: Yeah. And from what I understand, he's a local. Right. And I, I think that's the most shocking thing. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly to the town. A wolf in sheep's uh, clothing. Because he was, I mean, they, uh, people kept saying, the thing I kept hearing over and over again in interviews was like, it just can't be anybody from here. No one from here would do this. It's such a small town.
0: Right. I think they were thinking about like truckers or like people who like yeah. pass through, right? Yeah. Yes. Sure. Uh-huh. Or, you know, or just somebody who like traveled to
1: a different area in order to do something bad. Because honestly, if you're going to do something bad, don't shit where you eat, yeah. you know? I mean, like that feels, that feels like a normal thing to assume. Yeah, but
0: people who murder 13... Rape and murder 13 year old normal people. Yeah. Yeah. But the the odd thing, though, is like, why isn't you don't just like up and murder, you know, like there had to be something in his history that people would be side eyeing. Right. But that's what's weird about this suspect is that it sounds like he was just kind of I mean, he was quiet, which it's the fucking quiet mm. Mm, you know, always the quiet ones. Um, but he, I think he was just someone who kind of mostly kept to himself. Although who knows what he was yeah. doing on the internet. I, I want to see his internet history. Yeah.
1: I want to see his search history. And also, you know, just cause you're quiet. I mean, I live in a small town and it's amazing what people can get away with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I understand the idea of like living in a city where you, you know, it's, you're one of a million and you just, you just blend in but like small towns are sleepy and they're not looking for that kind of stuff yeah. and i mean yes a case like like the delphi case like that's going to get noticed but a little a little sexual
0: assault here you know well and and let's be honest in small towns that stuff goes by the
1: wayside in small towns at times in large cities too
0: yeah i think i was going to say especially sexual assault of young girls um you know, for a very long time, girls were made to feel like it was their fault. If something happened to them, it still happens. Right. I mean, luckily there's been disruption around that narrative, but for a very long time, it was like you were, if you told literally, if you told your parents you were in trouble, you know? Yeah. So, and I
1: would, I can, I can say, I don't feel like that happens here, but for a small town this one's relatively large and there are several surrounding it that are considerably smaller and i i have heard that there are stories where that it happens in towns where it's like you know 5000 people i mean there's sure. there's a town here rem i guess it's not it would be called like a village or a township of 280 people no are you fucking kidding me no like, no
0: you're like... related to everyone who do you fuck <laughs> with my venus and scorpio <laughs> literally have to leave town the sexual partner my venus and scorpio this is my first concern <laughs>
1: <laughs> not my first concern with my venus and scorpio is everybody knowing my business i'm like mm, <laughs>
0: no thank you oh are you kidding everyone knows my
1: business anyway well yeah but you do that on purpose i don't want everybody to know my business i was explaining so. to
0: someone the other day i was like I, I'm like anti-privacy. I don't like privacy. I think it's like, why is everyone so into privacy? But if you think about it, um, you know, the way that- Because people are dicks. <laughs> well, but that's the thing that allows people to be dicks is privacy. Like think about people who continue to live in tribes today or like people who did at one time live in tribes. At one time, all of us lived in tribes. There was no such thing as privacy. And that was how we connected. That was how we created community. That was how we- um, celebrated life together. It was like and married our cousins. I think like what? How did they handle that? <laughs>
1: I don't know. They married their cousins, right? No, girl. Like, that's how they handled. No, that I don't want to talk about. I don't want to think I or mean, talk. The English, like that's how they handle that. Like I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, I'm I'm sure as with everything, I'm sure that indigenous peoples of all areas had a better way of handling that than quote unquote civilized cultures.
0: Not confused about that. Yeah, although I do think there may have been a violent aspect. I do think that like ugh okay, this is me being, being like, I think I know the answer and I don't, but if I did, here's what I would say. I do think I heard at one point that rape was a part of it, that, um, like mm. pillaging women from other villages was like part of how they did it. So, well, there was Prima Nocta, Um, I you know what Prima Nocta is, but I love that. You're one. not, no, oh, you're not oh. going to love it. Yeah. It was
1: like when the the king or the leader of, of some community, um, basically vanquished another community to breed out the others, the the king or the upper members of society were allowed to have sex right. with the Wh- whoever women. Whoever they wanted. Yeah. But it was generally new brides. Gross. Because new brides were expected to get pregnant. Right. So, yeah. So that was not cool. Uh-huh. Um, and my only, my, I would say that the thing about the trouble with, with the smaller communities, particularly ones that are, are really small, is that because everybody knows each other, even if you know someone's doing something that they shouldn't, you might necessarily want not want to tell on that person, quote unquote, because, you know, you know them. Mm. They're your cousin. They're your friend. They're the guy that changes right. your oil. Totally. They're, the guy that they're your uncle. Lets you. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they're the guy that lets you buy cheap beer or like looks the other way because you're not 21. Right. And you know, when you're getting Boone's Farm. What is the new Boone's Farm? Is it White Claw? Yeah. Is that what it is? Is that what the uh, kids
0: are drinking? Yeah, the kids are drinking White Claw. Yes. Um. Also, just a PSA for anyone who wants to drink but doesn't want to feel like they're drinking. There's one called Ranch Water that I recently had. This is it's probably been around for like a thousand years, but it's so good because it's not super sweet like White Claw. So highly recommend. Uh, But is it alcoholic? Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, OK, great. Yeah. Yeah, very in support of everything being alcoholic. Oh these yeah, days.
0: Oh, yeah, sure are. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I was like, I turned on the news. I swear to God, I turned on the news a couple days ago, and it was like, oh, the nuclear threat from Russia. I was like, and
0: switching it off. <laughs> I was like, no, not today. And not today. Eating my feelings. Okay, <laughs> okay. Speaking of shutting it off,
1: uh... <laughs> are you talking about us? Because that's rude.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was talking about Manson and how oh he's fucking insane should we do it
1: let's do it okay so i'm gonna go back a little bit so we know what we're talking about here uh so on october 5th of some year um because i didn't write it down because we were in the middle of it uh like i think it was 1969 i don't know um it's the 60s manson that's october 5th so that's what we got on october 5th if it's your birthday Sorry about that. Uh, Manson was denied the court's permission to question a prosecution witness whom defense attorneys had declined to cross-examine. Incensed, Manson leapt over the defense table and attempted to attack the judge. Very sure done. Always a quality decision. Mm-hmm. So he's wrestled to the ground by Bailiffs, he's removed from the courtroom with the female defendants who had subsequently risen up and began chanting in Latin. No. That's a nightmare. No. Yeah. After this attack, the judge allegedly began wearing a gun under his robes. I get it. Now I remember that. Yes. Yeah. On November 16, the prosecution rested its case. And three days later, after arguing like standard dismissal motions, the defense stunned the course, the court, by resting as well without calling a single witness. They were like, we got nothing. They were like, oh it turns out that like they basically said like we did it. We just didn't do it for these reasons. We did it for this reason.
0: Duh. We did it because to show you guys that the man
1: is evil. I don't remember what was it. I remember that we had a joke about this because it was the Marvin Harry, (laughs) because they were like, We didn't do it for this. We did it. (laughs) We did it so they would string them all together. And you're like, hey, uh just just so you know, this is not the defense that you think it is. This is um, not the defense that you think it is is so good. It also applies to so many areas of life. So many yeah,
0: wow, so many people fucking so bring themselves good. away with their fucking narcissistic <laughs> shitty ass self so
1: many people saying things that you could not waterboard out of me <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. wow you said that shit out loud okay so anyway so shouting their disapproval atkins krenwinkel and van houten demanded their right to testify no one gave a fuck so they go into chambers in chambers the women's lawyers tell the judge their clients want to testify that they had planned and committed the crimes and that manson had not been involved And the lawyers very much know that that's bullshit. So they aren't allowing them to do it. Van Houten's attorney, Ronald Hughes, vehemently stated that he would not, quote, push a client out the window. In the prosecutor's view, it was Manson who was advising the women to testify in this way as a means of saving himself. You don't say. Yeah. Uh, Krenwinkel later said in a 1987 documentary, the entire proceedings were scripted by Charlie. We knew this, but
0: okay. Wait, wait. So basically, he was just telling them what to say.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, the other thing was, as we went over, um, like particularly with like the X being carved in the head, the fact that they were like we came up with all this on their own. I'm like, bitch, you haven't had an original thought in your brain in like six years. <laughs> the LSD just erased, like just an etch a sketch, just like shook you and you were clear. And he just implanted shit in there because and and they knew that because every time Charles, every time Charles Manson did something, the ladies were like us too, and what about and they're like, and they like the same thing. us too, but we thought of that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and then we like sent it to him mentally mental telepathy and he did it and we are actually the crime people (laughs) right charlie
0: (laughs) right are we a whole
1: new term to charlie's angels
0: are we the are we the crime people (laughs) are we the crime people charlie unless we're not tell us (laughs) um okay but first of all all of that is in his chart
1: but anyway keep going yeah okay so the next day manson testified (laughs) but they removed the jury from the courtroom first because they were like this is gonna be bad (laughs) they removed the jury (laughs) What the fuck was the point of him testifying? I think that they, I mean, they, maybe they recorded it. Maybe they were allowed to see transcripts. I don't know. Um, Okay. According to Vincent Bugliosi, it was to make sure that Manson's address did not violate the California Supreme Court's decision and People versus Aranda by making statements implicating his co-defendants. What? What does that mean? Basically, I think the long and the short of it is that they knew that this guy was like, a couple tools short of a full chest. And we're just like, <laughs> yeah, we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, you know, like he'd already pulled out the, the, the newspaper saying that like Nixon says that Nixon is guilt. I mean, Nixon says that Manson is guilty and like carved the thing into his, you know, like I'm being exed out by, I mean, he's, he's a loose fucking canon. Yeah. He's just not, he doesn't have his shit together. Okay. So they're just saying this man is crazy. Yeah. And they're like, you know, I don't, I don't think that they I don't think that they were thrilled that they were putting him on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh how's this gonna go? I'm sure the judge wasn't thrilled either, because that puts him considerably closer to the judge, uh, who's already like, I have a gut. Totally. <laughs> I wanna be clear with you. However, Bugliosi argued Manson would use his hypnotic powers to unfairly influence the jury, which is a hell of an objection, in my opinion. Wait, the, the lawyer said that? Uh-huh. <laughs> What? Yeah. The DA was like, also, we don't want the jury here because we're afraid Manson's going to hypnotize them. Whoa. I yeah. Speaking for more than an hour, Manson said, among other things, that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment. He also said, Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. To be honest with you, Manson stated, I don't recall ever saying, get a knife and a change of clothes and go do what Tex says. So he's basically saying, I had nothing to do with this. They did this all on their own. The music is telling the kids to do it. They did it. I didn't write the music. I didn't tell them to go kill anybody. It just is what it is. Look at my ex. These are
0: just, these are just bold face lies. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, uh, mean, meanwhile, all of his little lemmings are in the back going, what? <laughs> well, I think they'd already like colluded with him to be like, he's, he,
1: I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he walked up and was like, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take the blame (laughs) and go to jail. (laughs) I'm going to walk free. Got it? (laughs) (laughs) And they they were like, okay. (laughs) They're like, okay, so what kind of X do you want us to carve into our head? (laughs) I mean, it just is what it is. (laughs) I don't exactly what happened. because it is exactly what happened i'm sure he made it more flowery and more like this is you know this is the plan man like this is what this is what has uh, you're a murderer for the greater cause, whatever you know whatever fucking shit yeah. he needed to tell them while right. he fed them drugs right. to get them to buy this shit um but it worked um lola yeah <laughs> it's just i'm
0: imagining me and you
1: there <laughs> with our with our deep, deep distrust of all things, I being just like,
0: slap these people across the face. Like, wake the fuck up! Are you stupid?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a no, dude. Um, as the body of the trial concluded with the closing arguments impending, defense attorney Hughes disappeared during a weekend trip. Whoa. Uh huh. Yeah, the guy who basically said he wasn't going to push his client off a cliff.
0: Just yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is a great disappeared. This is a great time for a vacay.
1: Well. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. So when Maxwell Keith was appointed to represent Van Houten in Hugh's absence, a delay of more than two weeks was required to permit Keith to familiarize himself with the sizable trial transcripts. Yeah, I bet. I bet he just kept going, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no sooner had the trial resumed just before Christmas than disruptions of the prosecution's closing arguments by the defendants led the judge, older, to ban the four defendants from the courtroom for the remainder of the guilt phase. This may have occurred because the defendants were acting in collusion with each other and simply putting on a performance, which Older said was becoming obvious. Yeah. Fucking duh, my guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On January 25th, 1971. Okay, so we were in 1970. Now we're in 1971. Okay, great. Now we know. Now we know. The jury returned guilty verdicts. Shocking. Uh, Against the four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts against them. (laughs) Holy fuck. They got guilty on every single one. Every single one. Wow. They were like, oh, just all of it guilty. Just all of it. Wow. <laughs> Not far to the trial's penalty phase, the jurors saw at last the defense that Manson, in the prosecution's view, had planned to present. Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten testified that the murders had been conceived as copycat versions of the Hinman murder, for which Atkins now took credit. The killings, they said, were intended to draw suspicion away from Bobby Bussol by, resembl- by resembling the crime for which he had been jailed. This plan had supposedly been the work of and carried out under the guise, under the guidance of not Manson, but someone allegedly in love with Bussol. I'm going to give you one guess: Linda Kasabian, mm. the primary witness against them. Mm. So convenient. Midway through the penalty phase, Manson shaved his head and trimmed his beard to a fork, and he told the press, "I am the devil, and the devil always has a bald head." Oh. Oh, I didn't know that about the devil. Well, <laughs> Learned something new every day. And a fork beard, apparently. I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I always assume the devil came with a lush head of hair, but I have been wrong before.
0: Not often. It's so sad for the devil. <laughs> He's bald He's all the time. Bald. No wonder. he. Well, he
1: has those horns, you know, I don't know how hair would work its way around. I mean, that. look at goats. Well, it's not. Yeah. Okay. But that's kind of fur. I don't know. I'm just saying it would make styling difficult. That's all I'm saying. I don't have horns and I have trouble styling my hair. I'm just
0: saying now we understand why the devil turned to a life of crime.
1: Yeah. No, I get it. Actually, also, it's more fun. So in what the prosecution regarded as a belated recognition on their part that imitation of Manson only proved his domination, the female defendants refrained from shaving their heads until... The jurors retired to weigh the state's request for the death penalty. Oh. So they were like, see, we don't have to do everything he has to do. And then the jury left. They were like, psych! shameless." <laughs> shame <their> <laughs> Wow. So, but the effort to exonerate Manson via the copycat scenario failed. On March 29, 1971, the jury returned verdicts of death against all four defendants on all counts. On April 19th, 1971, Judge Older sentenced the four to death. After hearing the sentence, Susan Atkins shouted to the jury, better lock your doors and watch your kids. But the body count didn't stop. So on the day the verdicts recommending the death penalty were returned, news came that the badly decomposed body of Ronald Hughes, Leslie Van Houten's former defense attorney who had gone missing while camping during 10 day trial recess, had been found wedged between two boulders in Ventura County. (gasps) It was rumored, although never proven, that Hughes was murdered by the family, possibly because he had stood up to Manson and refused to allow Van Houten to take this down and absolve Manson of the crimes.
0: Wait, how? Weren't they all
1: in custody? No, no. All of the family? Absolutely (gasps) not. Remember, Morehouse, like, remember they took that other woman who testified against them to uh, Hawaii for some female bonding time? And they were like, have some drugs and a hamburger. Yeah. So there's and and there are plenty of them parked outside in fucking robes and sheathed knives. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, they're not. They're not all gone. Um, There was flooding in the area he'd been camping and that might have factored into his death. But reports state he'd been with friends at the time of the flooding and they'd hiked back uh, and he was very much alive at the time. Plus, he'd been seen by other campers in an area safe from the flooding prior to his disappearance. So, you know, take from that what you will. Family member Sondra Goode stated that Hughes was the first of the retaliation murders. Hmm. So they took credit for it. Um, Tex Watson returned to McKinney, Texas after the Tate LaBianca murders and he was arrested in Texas on November 30th, 1969, after local police were notified by California investigators that his fingerprints were found to match a print found on the front door of the Tate home. So Watson fought extradition to California long enough that he was not able to be included among the defendants tried with Manson. Oh, His trial took place in August of 1971. By October, he too had been found guilty on seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Unlike the others, Watson presented a psychiatric defense. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I'm crazy. (laughs) Fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi made short work of Watson's insanity claims, and like his co-conspirators, Watson was sentenced to death. Mm. In February of 1972, the death sentences of all parties were automatically reduced to life in prison by People v. Anderson, in which the California Supreme Court abolished the death penalty Mm. in that state. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about the death penalty, Mm. but this is one of those cases where I'm like, you know, I'm just saying... After his return to prison, Manson's rhetoric and hippie speeches did not hold the sway they once did, Uh, though he found temporary acceptance from the Aryan Brotherhood. Cool. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Uh, His role was submissive to a sexually aggressive member of the group at San Quentin. Wait, what happened? I kind of think it's what you think happened.
0: Wait, he tried to rape everyone in the Aryan Brothers?
1: No, his role was a submissive. Oh, 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 no.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Um, But, you know, he's a Venus and Scorpio and he was very sexually fluid. So who's to say it wasn't his thing? Uh, Before the conclusion of Manson Tate LaBianca trial, a reporter for the Los Angeles Times tracked down Manson's mother, remarried and living in the Pacific Northwest. The former Kathleen Maddox claimed that in childhood her son had suffered no neglect. Well, that's not true. Lies. Uh, He had even been pampered by all the women who surrounded him. I mean, maybe. That kind of like I can see when he was actually surrounded by women who loved him. It sounded like he had like his aunt and whatnot, but she wasn't stable. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, whatever pampering that she was able to give him when she was around him was probably combated by the fact that she wasn't around that much and that she kept getting arrested for stealing things. Yeah. So not good. Yeah. On November 8th, 1972, the body of 26 year old Vietnam Marine combat veteran James L.T. Willett was found by a hiker near Guerneville, California, California. 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 Yeah. Months earlier, he had been forced to dig his own grave and then was shot and poorly buried. His body was found with one hand protruding from the grave oh, what? and the head and the other hand missing, most likely because of scavenging animals. Oh. His station wagon was found outside a house in Stockton where several Manson followers living, including Priscilla Cooper, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, and Nancy Pittman. Police forced their way into the house and arrested several people, along with Fromm, who had called the house after they had arrived. The body of Jane Willett's 19-year-old wife, Lauren Rennie Shale Olmsted-Willett, was found buried in the basement. Oh, my God. She had been killed very recently by a gunshot to the head in what the family members initially claimed was an accident. Oh. It was later suggested that she was killed out of fear that she would reveal who killed her husband, as the discovery of his body had become prominent news. Yet, it turns out if you leave a hand sticking out of a grave, it's a lot easier to find it. For real. Wait, why did they kill this guy? For his car, maybe for his money. Mm-hmm. Who knows? They just kind of were like, oh, we don't like you. Yeah. Murder. You know, I mean, they didn't they didn't have any reasons for any of the things they did. Yeah. The Willett's infant daughter was found alive in the house. Michael Munfort, a family member, pleaded guilty to murdering Rennie Willett and Priscilla Cooper, James Craig and Nancy Pittman pleaded guilty as accessories after the fact. Monfort and William Goucher later pleaded guilty to the murder of James Willett and James Craig pleaded guilty as an accessory after the fact. If this is getting a little confusing, the takeaway here is that there was a lot of murder and much of it was done as a means to an end. Like they would do something and they'd be like, well, now we got to kill the people who know about right. this. Like they just weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the group had been living in a house with the Willets while committing various robberies. Maybe they knew about they were going to threatening to talk about the robberies. Uh-huh. Who knows? Shortly after killing Willet, Monfort had used Willet's identification papers to pose as Willet after being arrested for an armed robbery of a liquor store. That's that's brave. Yeah. Uh, News reports suggested that James Willett was not involved in the robberies and wanted to disconnect from the Manson family, but was killed out of fear that he would talk to the police. Mm. In a 1971 trial that took place after his Tate LaBianca convictions, Manson was found guilty of the murders of Gary Hinman and Donald Shorty Shia and was given a life sentence. Shia was a spawn ranch stuntman and horse wrangler who had been killed approximately 10 days after the August 16th, 1969 sheriff's raid on the ranch. Mm. Manson, who suspected that Shia helped set up the raid, had apparently believed that Shia was trying to get Spawn to run the family off the ranch. I mean, hopefully he was. Yeah. Furthermore, Manson may have considered it a sin that the white Shia had married a black woman. Oh, oh. Yeah, because we know he was a white supremacist. Right. Um, also, there was the possibility that Shia knew about the Tate-LaBianca killings. In separate trials, family members Bruce Davis and Steve Clem Grogan were also found guilty of Shia's murder. I mean, like I said, they just kept it just kept going. On September 5th, 1975, the family was back in the spotlight when Squeaky Fromm attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford. The attempt took place in Sacramento, where she and fellow Manson follower Sandra Good had moved so they could be near Manson while he was incarcerated at Folsom State Prison. Fromm was sentenced to 15 years to life. In December of 1987, Fromm, while serving a life sentence for the assassination attempt, escaped briefly from federal prison camp, the Alderson, that's the name of the camp, in West Virginia. She was trying to reach Manson because she had heard that he had testicular cancer, but she was apprehended within days and returned to her cell. She was actually released on parole from Federal Medical Center Carswell on August 14, 2009, and she moved to New York, where she lives with her boyfriend in a house decorated with skulls. No I wish I
0: was kidding. God, I mean, can we just TO? I am single.
1: <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. I have so many cool single friends. What the <laughs> fuck? But I bet he's a shit show. You know, I mean, if you were if honestly, Ram, you could have a boyfriend if you were willing to like just scrape the bottom of that <laughs> barrel. It's just that you're not. God damn it. Wow. <laughs> wow 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 okay if it turns out if you have literally zero standards <laughs> you too can get laid you have um. plenty of options <laughs> yeah in a 2019 interview Fromm said about manson was i in love with charlie yeah i guess i still am so you know she might be pro but i think it's safe to say she's not in great shape <laughs> wow In a 1994 conversation with Manson prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi, Catherine Scherr, a one-time Manson follower, stated that her testimony in the penalty phase of Manson's trial had been a fabrication intended to save Manson from the gas chamber and that it had been given under Manson's explicit direction. Wait, Scherr's what? I don't know what Scher said. They, they, I haven't been able to find any information about that, but she did testify in the penalty phase of Manson's trial. And whatever she said was intended to keep Manson from the death okay, penalty. So she's she's
0: just saying, I lied because I was trying to. Basically,
1: what she's saying is like, that guy was scary as fuck. And, uh, you know, he told me what to do and I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cher's testimony had introduced the copycat motive story. I mean, that's what they went with the whole time, um, which the testimony of the three. Yeah, but I'd like, I would love to know exactly what she said. Because they had everybody was saying the copycat motive story. I don't know why they had like so many people coming up to say that. Maybe just to, I don't know. Anyway, I would. Lo- I looked, and I could find pieces of it, but I can't find a full. Um, uh, what's it called? Transcript. Maybe that Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they were like, you know what? We don't think anyone ever needs to read. This. They were like, burn <laughs> it.
0: Just burn it.
1: Yeah. Um, Cher's testimony had introduced the copycat motive story, which the testimony of the three female defendants echoed. And according to the Tate LaBianca murders had been Linda Kasabian's idea. We already know that that's, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem likely. In a 1997 segment of the tabloid television program Hard Copy, Cher implied that her testimony had been given under the threat of physical harm by Manson, as well as by his acolytes. In August of 1971, after Manson's trial and sentencing, Cher had participated in a violent California retail store robbery, the object of which was the acquisition of weapons to help free Manson. So. Well, it looks like, I mean, did you get that? No. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) So it looks like after I mean, I, I I shouldn't be surprised after he was uh, sentenced, Cher and probably this, this woman, her last name, Cher, uh, and probably a bunch of other Manson acolytes had uh, attempted to rob a California store to get some weapons to I don't know, they thought they were going to go into the jail and like, let Charlie out or whatever, you know, like hold. I don't know, knives to people's necks very dramatically. Okay. You know, yeah. I don't think they really understand how like prisons work. Yeah. You know, like how it's like, there's a whole, like, it's not like the movies. It's like, there's a whole system to get in and out. And like the minute that this crazy mob had showed up, they have been like, please leave. <laughs> <laughs> no one's letting you inside. Or, you know, we'll just
0: <laughs> shoot you because we have guns. Yeah, like, hon-
1: honestly. And I, I. I didn't know this. I mean, I, I don't know why I didn't know it. I just didn't think about it. But if you go to like the, like the big maximum security um, prisons, they literally have, I I don't know about all of them, but some of them I know have basically a big watchtower with dudes with guns. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I was like, I mean, I mean, I've seen the, there's actually Michael when he was working in Chicago, he worked near a big prison and they've got like the barbed wire around the fences and shit. And I imagine that that's hard to get through, but if someone were to actually try and, and make it, they're like, nope, no, my guy, no, <laughs> no it's not working. No. Um, but I mean, for someone like Manson, that, I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. That, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um, in January of 96, a Manson website was established by Latter-day Manson follower, George Simpson, who was helped by longtime Manson follower, Sandra Good. I mean, this guy still has yeah. people. What the fuck? Uh, Good had been released from prison in 1985 after serving 10 years of her 15 year sentence for death threats against governmental agencies. Can you fucking imagine spent 10 years in prison? And the first thing you want to do when you get out is like set up a website for this dude? No. No, (laughs) Wow. it really
0: just. Well, we'll get into this, but it's a testament to how powerful he was.
1: I oh, but I I mean I everyone knows about Charles Manson, but when I was reading, I everyone knows about the Tate LaBianca murders. That's not new. Although, actually, most people I know know about the Tate murders. There was about half that didn't realize that the LaBianca murders were a thing as well, but almost no one knows about the full. And I, no one really does. But just what I talked about, there's not a lot of people who know about all of that. Mm-hmm. You know about I mean, he didn't just kill those other people. He was responsible for a lot of killing. Right.
0: Yeah. And he never picked up a knife. Yeah. But that's that's what I mean. He and we'll talk about that in his chart because it's totally in his chart. And it's just it's an interesting uh, we
1: did we, he was held accountable. There's no there's no way around it. He was held accountable. But there's a lot of philosophical debate about whether or not it's okay to do that. Right. Because he didn't do it himself. Right. You know, are we responsible and then you know there's the whole like if you yell fire in a crowded theater Like you did that. If people are died, if people die trying to get out, like that's your fault. Words have meanings. There's no way around that. I get that, and I'm not arguing that Charles Manson isn't responsible. Don't get it twisted. But I philosophically, from a philosophical point, I understand why people go back and forth about this. and you know, it's kind of like at a certain point we are grown ass adults, and you know. But also, he was feeding them bunches of drugs, just bunches and bunches of drugs.
0: Yeah, but this so, bitch is—it's like eleven years after she got out of prison. Where? Oh no, I know. You know.
1: No, it was right after she got out of prison. It oh, was, she went to she, prison because she'd been in prison for ten years, and then she got out, and the first thing she thought to do was like, "Gotta help Charlie." I thought she
0: got to set up this website. I thought she got out in eighty-five.
1: No, she, um, oh, no, you're right. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah,
0: It's 11
1: years. 11 years later. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, what are you doing?
1: I mean, probably spent the entire 11 years trying to find ways to help them. Then the internet pops up and she's like, gonna
0: do this, gonna do it. That's what I'm saying is to have that kind of a stronghold over someone where after they spend 10 years in prison because of your shitty ass, 11 years after the fact, she's she's still trying to save you it's just bizarre
1: yeah i mean yeah also like do you remember the like i went and looked at um progressing age shots of manson before he died i think he died a few years ago he just got crazier and crazier looking yeah like i i mean he just went fucking feral in prison yeah I mean, I I think when you look back on when he was younger, he always looked like there's just squirrels running the show upstairs. But like, damn, you know, it j- I like I would have been afraid to have been in a cell with him I, you put it that way.
0: There is a reason. I mean, I don't know why it was pro- got progressively worse, probably because prison was really bad for him. But yeah, it turns out prison is not great for your mental health. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. But like his mental health house is <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That That's one of those ones where it's like, it's not subtle now, you know, like sometimes we're like, ladies, look at his chart. And sometimes I'm like, you don't need to look at his chart, bitch. Look at his eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look at his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. If he's whispering helter skelter to you while shoving an LSD tab into your mouth, run. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in a 1998, 1999 interview, Bobby Bussol rejected the view that Manson ordered him to kill Gary Hinman. He stated that Manson did come to Hinman's house and slash Hinman with a sword, which he had previously denied in a 1981 interview. Bussol stated that when he read about the Tate murders in the newspaper, quote, I wasn't even sure at that point, really. I had no idea who had done it until Manson's group was actually arrested for it. It had only crossed my mind and I had a premonition, perhaps. Uh, there was some little tickle in my mind that the killings might be connected with them. In another interview, however, he admitted when the Tate LaBianca murders happened, I know who had done it. I was fairly certain. So, Hmm. yeah. But again, this is someone who was very, very involved with Manson. And I mean, his mind is probably very mushy and did a lot of drugs. Yeah. Um, It was announced in early 2008 that Susan Susan Atkins, oh, I remember when this happened, was suffering from brain cancer. An application for compassionate release based on her health status was considered and denied in July of 2008. Yeah. I mean, she was like, Brought in on a stretcher, yeah. Uh, she was denied parole for the 18th and final time on September 2nd, 2009. Atkins died of natural causes 22 days later on September 24th, 2009, at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. In January of 2008, uh, oh, in a January 2008 segment of the Discovery Channel's Most Evil, Barbara Hoyt said that the impression that she had accompanied Ruth Ann Morehouse to, to Hawaii just to avoid testifying at Manson's trial was erroneous. Hoyt said that she had cooperated with the family because she was trying to keep them from killing my family. No, I believe that. She stated that at the time of the trial, she was constantly being threatened. They said, your family's going to die. The murders could be repeated at your house. And mm. uh, 100% checks out. As the 40th anniversary of the Tate-LaBianca murders approached in July of 2009, the Los Angeles Magazine published an oral history in which the formal family members former, not formal, former family members, law enforcement officers, and others involved with the Manson. With Manson, the arrests and the trials offered their recollections and observations on the events that made Manson notorious. In the article, Juan Flynn, a spawn ranch worker who had become associated with Manson and the family, said Charles Manson got away with everything. People will say he's in jail, but Charlie is exactly where he wanted to be. Mm. Charles Manson died of a heart attack and complications from colon cancer. On November 19th, 2017, he was 83 years old. And this is just further proof that he was full of shit until the day he died. (laughs) And that is Charles Manson in a nutshell. Okay.
0: Well, let me get into his astrology. I bet it's fucked. It is fucked. It sure is. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's a Scorpio, which makes all the sense when you think about the Scorpio need for control. So let me just pause for a second and say I'm going to be talking a lot about the fucked up side of Scorpio today, but I always like to give the disclaimer that Scorpio gets a super bad rap. Healthy Scorpio is fucking awesome. It's loyal, it's deep, it's intuitive, it's passionate unhealthy scorpio like any unhealthy sign is just super fucked so don't come at me scorpios okay
1: why maybe you can tell me in like two minutes or less why do gemini and
0: scorpios get like the worst rap well be okay scorpio because bad scorpio is bad (laughs) it is bad as we can see (laughs) it's bad honey um it is because because Scorp- the Scorpio proclivity for manipulation and violence, right? Because like an Aries, whereas an Aries can also like, that's a violent. Violence, but no manipulation. No manipulation. Just walk. Cancer is manipulation, no violence. Right, exactly. Yes. And then Scorpio is violence and manipulation. But this is when it's unhealthy, right? This is like the worst form of Scorpio. And then Gemini, because... Uh, you know, of the duplicity thing, because Geminis are really able to, when they're in their shadow, are really able to deceive Um, part of like, so there's a card in tarot. It's the magician and th- that's Gemini energy. It's like the magician can like make can, can sort of make something out of nothing which is like great if you're a manifester, but part of making something out of nothing is also the illusion. It's the trickster. It's the like, um, I'm telling you that I'm going camping with my friend, with my friend who's a girl and it's just going to be a very platonic camping trip. Remy. No, it's not. You went and fucked that girl. And Oh, was he a Gemini? Yes. Oh yeah. He was. Yeah. So, um, of course he was. Yeah, Remy, can you lend me um, $20 so I can go on this camping trip with this friend? Oh, can you give me a bunch of your CDs? <laughs> Dude, what? <Yeah. laughs> you paid that man to cheat on you? I literally was like, <laughs> take everything. Everything you say is true. I'm 18. I don't know how anything works. Anyway. Um, okay. So anyway, that is why. Okay. Okay. So now... With my disclaimer, let's talk about why Scorpio can be fucked up. When we think about Pluto, Scorpio's planetary ruler, and Pluto being so powerful, but not necessarily physically, right? Like that's Mars energy. Shadow Pluto power is about control power and really controlling others. That's why a strong Pluto placement can often lead to like world leaders or celebrities, because these are all people who have the ability and desire to influence and especially with politicians control others.
1: And on that note, can we just discuss the fact real briefly that we have been in Pluto and Capricorn for like 15 years? And as a Capricorn, I'm ready for that to get the fuck out of my fucking house, my sun sign. But also I'm ready for that to move into Aquarius and see what shit breaks down
0: from that because that's going to be hilarious. I can't even tell you. I'm like, God damn it. It can't happen fast enough. Get the book out of Capricorn Pluto because this is power right this is control who has the power and control right now the corporations the police you know like that's Capricorn energy that is um you know these tradition right and I think it's
1: safe to say that they went to their shadow side with this Uh, yeah
0: (laughs) so Pluto is in 2023 is going to start its move into Aquarius. It'll back up into Capricorn for a minute. But then I think by like, I can't remember if it's like by 2025 or whatever, it's going to be like full force into Aquarius, which is progressive. It's about freedom. It's about breaking out of traditions. And Pluto is so powerful. So I just French Revolution last time I
1: that was the last time it was an Aquarius. Oh,
0: see, I didn't even know that. But that makes complete sense. Yeah.
1: French Revolution happened last time. Pluto was an Aquarius. So,
0: yeah. So off with their heads. It could
1: get weird. Oh, yeah. Let's do yeah. this. OK. Let them eat cake. Let them eat some steel. <laughs> yeah, how about you eat my steel toe boots? How about that? <laughs> see how you like that taste. So Pluto,
0: we don't condone violence. Pluto. I do. Also has a large. <laughs> Capacity for violence. And (laughs) when you look at Manson's chart, he has a massive Scorpio stellium. Okay. He's got sun conjunct Venus, very close conjunction in Scorpio, Jupiter in Scorpio, Mercury in Scorpio. And because Scorpio falls into his seventh house, he also has his DC in Scorpio, which is the opposite of the ascending, right? So five Scorpio placements. The sun conjunct Venus and Scorpio doesn't shock me at all. Even though on the surface, we may not think of Manson as someone who would have that. The truth is that he had to have it in order to sort of seduce these people in the first place. So let's talk about that conjunction. The sun is how we project who we are to the outside world. And when it's conjunct Venus, this is someone who projects in a warm, friendly, affectionate way. That said, when you add Scorpio into that mix, the planet of the underworld and the shadow, you know, it's not like we're in Leo or Libra or something. Scorpio is going to, yes, be warm and inviting because of that conjunction. But with the low vibe Scorpio in there, there's also that element of control, manipulation. That's another like Scorpio is so fucking big on manipulation. Oh, I know. Yeah.
1: I am a Vetus and Scorpio. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, <laughs> death, underhandedness, it's also going to mix that warmth with sexuality and mysteriousness because that's Scorpio energy. The other thing here is something that we kind of talk about, talked about with Princess Di. She had Sun in the eighth house, which is the house that Scorpio rules. Here we have Sun in Scorpio, like in the sign of Scorpio. So this is someone who, just like with Diana, wants to expose the dark side in some way, right? Wants to shine a light on the shadow because the sun is this massive flashlight. Scorpio holds secrets. With Diana, it was about exposing, you know, the secrets of the royal family, whatever. But with Manson, it's more about this kind of showing the world this darkness and attempting to normalize dark, right? By bringing it out into light, like, you know, very Vecna-ish, yeah, he is a Vecna, you know, if you think about yeah. it. Well, he tried to
1: be, he's just not as good right, as He was
0: right. Yeah. But it's about like normalizing dark taboo, fucked up things, bringing them out to the light with his followers, right? Like, Hey, we're just all going to murder some folks and it's just normal and it's fun and it's cool. And here we're just doing it right out in the open. No big deal. Take this LSD. <laughs> also, let's just say it as you and I can attest being Venus and Scorpio ourselves, Venus in Scorpio loves to fuck. We love it. Mm -hmm. But unlike Venus in Leo, for example, who also loves to fuck, Venus in Scorpio is much less likely to be able to feel like sex is meaningless or just a fun thing to do, right? Like a Venus in Leo will be like, high five, right? Like at the end. No. (laughs) Thanks for the orgasm. Bye. Yes, 100%. Venus and Scorpio is very intense about sex. <laughs> and of course, you don't say <laughs> not like we know anything about that. And of course, that can look a lot of different ways. Maybe it's feeling deeply monogamous, right? Like that is one way that that can manifest. That is not the way he would. No, no. Right. Maybe it's BDSM, right? Like um, have, having these like sort of kind of um taboos right around sex or whatever or exploring taboos maybe it's having sex with all your cult followers so that you can more easily manipulate them into murdering celebrities so that was not a choice i had considered
1: but yes i can see it being an option way down there one
0: way you could go So now with Venus conjunct the sun in Scorpio, this is someone who invites people in and is warm and friendly with them, but maybe with the intention of cult leadering them, controlling them, brainwashing them, having very intense sex with them, and exposing a very dark part of Scorpio shadow energy. And then when you consider the fact that Jupiter is conjunct Mercury in Scorpio, this is even more obvious. So Mercury oversees how we communicate and how we think. So Mercury and Scorpio, I also have Mercury and Scorpio. And by the way, also Venus we've talked about so I'm not here to say that Scorpio is evil again by any means but what healthy Mercury and Scorpio does is read between the lines right like we love abstractions we love symbols we go deep on emotions we're intuitive we also don't suffer fools that's one way that Scorpio can kind of be different than the other water signs like Pisces loves to suffer fools and so does Cancer to some God so much (laughs) If you've ever <laughs> all my kids i love a cancer cancers and pisces i
1: actually really love them as friends and i have a lot of female cancer and pisces friends that i just smack upside the head and i'm like the fuck are you doing the fuck are you doing right
0: because scorpio will tell you to get fucked whereas like pisces and to a slightly lesser extent cancer are just like i love being taken advantage of what it's my favorite anyway i digress so mercury in low vibe scorpio is going to be someone who thinks about death thinks about revenge uses their communication to try to get control over others aka brainwashing they're using their intuition not to connect with their fucking spirit guides but to try to vibe out people's weaknesses so they can use those against them and then because mercury is conjunct jupiter Jupiter's the planet of expansion. It's the super size it planet. It's like, why would I have a 12-ounce soda when I could have a 48-ounce soda that makes me ill and gives me diabetes, right? It makes everything it touches big. Be- for, diabetes is free. For better or worse. Di- diabetes is free. Okay, so, says Jupiter. <laughs> it's free, so you bought it. Let's just do it. Yeah. Do it. Go big or go home. So- all those thoughts that Mercury is having and all those side note as a Taurus rising, if someone says go big or go home, my
1: thought is always that I'm going home, home.
0: Yeah. Duh. This is easy. What are you talking about? Yeah. Home. It's literally my favorite place. Yeah. Taurus is like, (laughs) why wouldn't I just go home? (laughs) You're ridiculous. Idiots. That's my (laughs) fucking favorite thing to do is go home. Okay. So, um, so all those thoughts that Mercury is having and all of those speeches and monologues, they're very big, right? Like, Big thoughts about revenge, big speech about killing the man or whatever the fuck he was saying to them, which I mean, you know, it's just all around serious cult leader vibes. Jupiter conjunct Mercury in Scorpio. Yikes. (laughs) Big X in your forehead. Big old old (laughs) X. Yeah. Uh, And then on top of it, we're in the seventh house. And this is so interesting to me because this is the house of partners. But normally we think of them as like, we think of this house as like one-on-one partnerships, your significant other, your spouse, your business partner, your bestie, all of those are found in the seventh house. But it's almost to me, like he saw his followers as a unit, right? As his sort of lemming unit, his partner, like singular out there doing his bidding, right? which makes sense because his DC is here in the seventh house. That's the placement opposite. your ascending that t- tells us what a person needs in their intimate relationships and partnerships. So again, since we're working with that low vibe Scorpio, we're talking about someone who needs to be able to control their partner and be that puppeteer. And that's exactly what he did with this group of people. They were just hanging on his strings, you know?
1: I would love I mean we don't have time but I would love to know like what these other people's charts look like like how did you find that many people I think it that were just
0: that willing maybe it was I'm sure it had to do with the time I think so too I think coming out of the 50s if you think about it like the 50s was really a time where it was so easy to I mean it probably I it still is but the fifties was a time where everyone was like, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, no one, Mm -hmm. we really, this is hard for us to wrap around our heads, but we never really knew a time when everyone trusted the government. But in the fifties, that really was the thing is that everyone was sort of um, trained to invest all their trust in this higher entity that was outside of you and, and believe all of the propaganda and It was, I think, a much easier time, whatever. I mean, there's still cult leaders, but I think it was just a really easy time to take advantage of people. And especially when you added in drugs, it's just like. Well, and if you think about
1: it that way, then basically what you're talking about is the government is a cult leader and all of us, not us because we weren't around, but you know, everybody who was around them basically is subscribers to that. And then when you saw the sexual revolution happening in the 60s and 70s, that was them being like, yeah, maybe not actually. So who maybe not to what? maybe not to the government uh, essentially to right. that to that you know like we're not drinking your Kool-Aid anymore right.
0: like well you know premarital sex drugs during the, during the 60s astrologically what happened was uranus and pluto were conjunct in the fucking sky uranus oh, conjunct pluto i didn't know which that. if you think about it is, a, is what we're about to move into because Pluto is moving into Aquarius, which is overseen by Uranus, right? So what happened was Uranus, the planet of breaking out of tradition, of freedom, of going against the grain, of like anti-establishment, teamed up with Pluto, which was about power. So that basically defined the 60s. So... It, I'm sorry, are you telling me that we're about to have another 60s? Because, well, I'm so mad that I'm going to be in my 40s for that. Like, it's a different, it's not the same. Also, at the time, Chiron was opposing that conjunction. So, this was about dealing with some serious wounds. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, now what's happening is Pluto is moving into Aquarius. It's not the same thing as teaming up with Uranus, but it is that energy because Uranus oversees Aquarius. And instead of lasting for like however many years, I think, I mean, I don't know exactly how long that conjunction lasted in the 60s, but Ludo is going to be there for 19 years. I know. I saw that. It is a big fucking deal. So we are definitely moving into a time where there is disruption of the status quo, disruption of the establishment. I just don't, you know, none of us know exactly how that's going to look. Okay. The Capricorn, I mean, it's like, but we're keeping social
1: security, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I just want to be clear that like a few things need to stay status quo.
0: <laughs> well, God, I hope so. I mean, not, not like I'll get any social security since my job is like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. you What? You know, you have to invest in that to like receive later
1: on. I think mm, Michael has, yeah, it actually is bullshit to me. I'm like, Oh, okay. So the the massive work that I did here, just uh, it just doesn't count. All right. Well, you're welcome for the citizens I raised that are going to go buy your of shit. Of course, yeah. I guess I did it for free. I guess that's cool. Women's
0: work doesn't matter. Okay. So we talked about Sun conjunct Venus and Scorpio, how that made him seem very inviting and warm. But we have a double dose of this because if you scoot over to his fifth house, he has Mars exactly conjunct Neptune. They're both at four degrees. This is huge. So Mars gives us drive and ambition. It makes us want to go after things. Neptune, when it's healthy is about spirituality, love, art. But when it's in its shadow, Neptune is about illusions, deception, lies, wrapping a piece of poo in tin foil, spraying it with spray paint, telling everyone it's gold. And everyone <laughs> believes you because Neptune is very mesmerizing. It's you know, it's like this magician, the trickster, it's like the con artist. So because we're working with unhealthy Neptune here, obviously we've got major drive to deceive, right? big ambitions, that's Mars, to trick and to project a fantasy onto others. That's Neptune. Coincidentally, Mars also oversees violence. So tricking people into doing violence. (laughs) Wow. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. This energy gets even more pronounced because we're in the fifth house. And this is the house of play, of children, of make-believe. Lots of actors have prominent fifth house placements because it's about Playing around. That's, you know, sort of what acting is. It's like make believe, right? Mars is also the ruler of Aries, right? So it's got leadership energy. So if we synthesize all of these factors to understand how they're working together here, it's perfect. Mars is like, I'm a leader, I'm ambitious, I'm going after things, also violence. Shadow Neptune is like, oh, do you see how spiritual I am? Do you see how I'm healing the world? <laughs> Lol, JK. I just want to <laughs> control you to feel good about myself. I'm actually a huge piece of shit and a scam artist and a fraud. And then the fifth house is like, I'm going to play the role of cult leader and see how many people I can make believe into doing my bidding, right? Like I'm going to be like, I'm a cult leader. Look at me. You should go murder that person. And they're like, well, okay. Right. It's just a clusterfuck. And... And this is where I'm just fascinated by his chart. This conjunction is the tail end of a weird M shape that Manson has in his chart. It's not at all an official configuration that I know of. I've never read about it or seen it anywhere, but it's clear as day in his chart. It literally looks like an M. So it's made of five points. It starts low, goes up to a point, back down to the middle of the M, back up to a fourth point and back down again, right? So all of these points are interacting and talking to each other. And it's really fucking interesting. So we'll start with the Mars-Neptune conjunction. This is the bottom right point of the M. This goes up in a trine to the second point, which is Manson's Midheaven in Capricorn in the ninth house. The Midheaven oversees career and legacy, So there's something about this Mars-Neptune duo conjunction that's having a big influence on his career and legacy, which of course, duh, we already know what the fuck that's about. The midheaven in the ninth house tells me that his career is going to be known about internationally because that's the house of international travel and broadcasting. Capricorn tells me he's going to be very ambitious in his career and legacy and won't stop till he gets those goals met. This all tracks. You can't very well be a lazy cult leader. You know, you kind of have to have a fire under your ass. <laughs> I mean, not if you're going to be su- good at it, you know, not if you're going to be successful. Yeah. yeah. You got to you got to kind of like be ambitious about it. That midheaven is then opposing Pluto. So that's the third point in our M, the middle point. Of course, Pluto is the underworld. It's death, vengeance, murder, power struggles, control, rage, manipulation, right? In its shadow. Pluto oversees all of that. Not only do we have Pluto here, but we fucking have Pluto in cancer. Cancer rules the family as in the Manson family, the fucking cult he was brainwashing. It makes so much sense. And it makes so much sense that this Pluto is sending seriously bad vibes from cancer over to his midheaven, which is his legacy, which is then sending that message over to that deceptive Mars-Neptune placement. So, first of all, like if there is a cult leader planet, it's Pluto. And it's in fucking Cancer, the fuck, the, the sign of the family. I when I saw that, I was like, wow. Like the way that like astrology, we we think that um I think maybe I've said this before, but It's wild to me. Astrology is um, an abstraction, right? It's like, it's symbols. Everything is like symbols and mythology and whatever. But the way that it works through us is it makes those abstractions literal. So when you have Pluto in cancer, it's literally like death family, (laughs) like manipulation family,
1: right? It's like so... In its shadow, let's be clear, if you have Pluto in Cancer, you don't have to be, Charles. You don't have to create a cult.
0: It's an option, but we don't recommend it. Well, tons it. of people have Pluto in Cancer because it stays in every right. sign for years and years. But yeah, really what we want to look at is how that Pluto is aspected. What is it doing? And for us, it's in this M, right? So that's half of our M. From there, Pluto opposes another conjunction in Manson's chart. He's got his moon exactly conjunct his North node in Aquarius. The North node is what our soul wants to learn in this lifetime. His North node is in Aquarius. Yes. Yes. What? So, Uh. so it's what you want to learn in this lifetime, right? How your soul wants to expand and grow in this lifetime when it's conjunct the moon, that means your soul wants your emotions to play a huge role in your destiny and how you move forward. And then we're in Aquarius, which oversees the collective, the community. So there's going to be an intense emotional drive to impact the community in some way. But sadly, that drive is being opposed by Pluto and cancer. So now we have someone who deeply and with all of his emotions wants to murder the community with his murder cult family, a.k.a. Pluto and cancer. Cool. It's almost like. It's almost like he got it
1: exactly right, but in the upside down, Yes, you know, right. Like he was doing the right
0: moves in the wrong arena. Right. Well, that's what we always have to remember is that he could have had a completely different outcome if he'd had, for example, a different upbringing, a or B had chosen at any point to go on a healing journey. Right. But this is the choice we all make, how we work, because every sign, every planet, has a shadow side and a do good side, right? It's up to us how to work with the energy. So anyway, but it's also like, I will say when you have a fucked up childhood, you're at a disadvantage. If someone was like loved as a child and cherished and treasured, you know, it just puts them in a different space, right? Like why they don't need to go to that. They, they're not forced into the shadow side the way that people who are abused are, they're forced to understand the shadow first in their life. That's their first lesson. Well, and it can make a big imprint. There's no doubt yeah, about Yeah, and it. if you don't, I mean,
1: sometimes. But, and we've been over this so many times. You grow and you become an adult. And at that point, you have to start making your own choices. Yeah, you have to make a
0: choice. So, so now we're at that North Node conjunct the moon in Aquarius. That is then trying, you guessed it, Motherfucking Chiron. Motherfucking Chiron. in What's his Chiron in again? In Gemini. That feels... Wow. <laughs> of course it is. I don't know why I would have thought it wasn't. Chiron in Gemini in the second house. So to review, Chiron rules our deepest wounds and our healing journeys should we choose to take ourselves to therapy, should we choose not to take ourselves to therapy. Chiron's just holding big fat wounds that haunt us and lead us to hurt all the people around us. Chiron and Gemini is a wound of words and intelligence, because remember Gemini is ruled by Mercury who oversees how we think and how we communicate. So there's also of course, like being a fucking big fat liar. If you have Chiron and Gemini and you choose to do that, right? Because Gemini is duplicitous in it's shadow. So It's about saying one thing and doing another thing, right? So Chiron in the second house, let's talk about this. This is the wound of feeling unsafe, unworthy, unimportant, unvalued. The second house is ruled by Taurus and it oversees security, valuables, self-worth, and yes, money, but that's a valuable, right? So it also is like our personal values and like our figurative values and our literal values. Right. So I actually look at this and see someone who grew up in an environment where they didn't feel safe, didn't feel loved or valued. And so they overcompensate with being smart, being great orders, brilliant speakers. They want to come across as really intelligent. They want to be convincing, right? Whether or not what they're saying is true is not the point. It's can they convince you that it's true? And this is how they'll get love. This is how they'll make themselves feel important and valued. If I can convince you of a thing, right? And this desire to feel smart so that he doesn't have to feel the pain of being unloved as a child is sending its message over to his moon conjunct North node in Aquarius saying, Hey, channel all this pain you have inside to the outside toward the community, right? Because this moon is conjunct the North node, right? All that pain, all those feelings, all that emotion, put all that feeling that's in your moon, all that heartbreak and disappointment and rage and despair into feelings that are now focused on the collective, on the, on the outward, right? We're not going to look inside. We're going to look to the collective on how fucked up the establishment is and how fucked up the government is, how fucked up the cops are, right? How shitty the man is. That way you won't have to feel your pain. And by the way, the best way to do that is to make sure you seem really smart about how fucked up the collective is, look like a genius and no one will notice that inside you actually feel like a huge piece of shit. And then that is traveling down to Pluto and cancer. And it's like, ooh, I see what we're gonna do. Let's use your intelligence to feel important By impacting the collective through taking all this dark Pluto energy and using it to create a new family, a family that will never leave you, that will never abandon you, and that will show you complete devotion. How? By murdering celebrities because Pluto and because Pluto's desire to control and destroy And then that goes up to the Midheaven where this becomes his legacy that is talked about far and wide because we're in the ninth house. And then we drop back down to that Mars-Neptune conjunction where there's tons of drive to be deceptive and to brainwash. Now, there's one last major placement here that's super important. And that is that Manson has Uranus in Aries in the 12th house. This is the final important piece to the puzzle. Uranus is unpredictable, shocking, unstable energy. Oh, great. Put it in Aries. That's good. Yeah. And it's in Aries, the sign of war, rage, physical violence. And it's in the 12th house of mental health. So we have. uh (laughs) That's not fair. That's not fair. No. No. No, that's just, oh man. No, it's not good. So we have unstable, erratic, violent energy in the house of mental health. So just really answering all the questions right now. (laughs) And that last placement, Uranus is part of a grand cross, which is when four points are sequentially 90-ish degrees apart from each other. And together they make a big square shape in the chart. It signals a really tough burden to bear, very difficult energy. If you're working on yourself, it can be something that really strengthens you. It's something that you, it um sort of exemplifies like a very difficult theme in your life or, or situation in your life that you can choose to kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say overcome because You may struggle with it your whole life, but it's something that you can use as like a way to grow and evolve. But if you're not working on yourself, it just creates toxicity in your life and in the lives of the people around you. So Manson's grand cross includes Uranus and Aries in the 12th house, which then squares Pluto and Cancer, which squares Mercury and Scorpio, which squares the moon conjunct North node, which loops back and squares Uranus and Aries. So All of these energies are at odds, murderous Pluto in the sign of the family, squaring that unstable warlike mental health energy, squaring that emotional drive to impact the community, squaring his mind in vengeful, secretive, manipulative, low vibe Scorpio. And that is the astrology of Charles Manson. It makes me
1: wonder what his tra- and I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but this chart in particular, what it would look like if he'd done it, if he'd done the work, yeah, like what that would look like, like Obama, you know, like I mean, the, the kind of like someone who really was just like, no, I'm gonna do the work, I'm gonna get it right, I'm gonna do the best I can with what I well, have. Well,
0: let's think about, for example, Uranus in Aries in the twelfth house, so. Yes, Uranus is unstable and erratic, right? Or it can be. But it's also the genius planet. I think of I think of Uranus as where we find our genius. It's where we get ideas that are um, out, out of it's like no one inspired this idea, I fucking came up with this out of nowhere, right? So that's the the inventor genius quality. It's it's in Aries which is leadership and it's in the 12th house of mental health. So someone who was loved as a child or was really working on themselves, this could be someone who was like an innovator, a leader in their field of mental health, someone who like became a psychologist and, and like learned how to apply a thing to, um, healing, I don't know, addiction or healing, um, what's, or like healing, for example, um, Alzheimer's, right. Cause that that's part of mental health, right. That's like a, yeah. so, so that like you could have, you, you could take all this exact same placement and use it in a very different way. But like, for example, I have a grand cross in my chart and it makes relationships really hard for me. And that is something I've struggled with my whole life. And it's something that I am like actively working on. I'm like, I'm like very focused on it. The other way it could look is someone who gets involved in shitty relationships just over and over and over and over and over again, and doesn't ever pause to be like, what's happening here? Like, let's, let's heal some shit, right? So there's just, it's just whether or not you choose it, but I will say, and I think this is just true is especially during that time. It's like therapy was really looked down on. It was not readily available. It wasn't something that was common. It wasn't like everyone had a therapist, whereas like now it's really common to have a therapist. I think the uh, the ethos of the time, the zeitgeist didn't lend itself to healing. And I think it put a lot of people at a disadvantage who like maybe they could have used their powers for good, but it's just like they fucking didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not, you're not wrong. It was a time when therapy was not highly regarded. Yeah. I mean, I even, I even confront that now. I see that now people being like, oh, fucking, what are you, a pussy? You know, I mean, like you get that kind of shit. There are those people. You do live in the Midwest. Yes. I'm not talking about from the Midwest, to be perfectly honest. I've seen a lot of that in California. What?
0: A lot of that in California. Maybe among men. I think with men, it's also... A yes, thing?
1: this was exclusively among men, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. I don't think women are out there like you're a fucking pussy going to therapy. <laughs> no, no don't we don't say that. that. And that's not to say that women can't be judgmental about it. But we're just quiet about it at the time. Then we talk shit about you later to our also, friends. Also, if
0: you're a woman and you're saying that, go away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're a woman, and you're saying that you're not listening to our astrology cry podcast. I can almost totally, guarantee that yeah. those women are not doing that. Those women are like, oh, it's those spooky witch bitches again. Let's fucking boycott them. Uh-
0: but I also, I just have to say like, it's, this is, it's not just a travesty, um, for the culture when men do that, it is a travesty for men. Like men are in desperate need of healing. The patriarchy is not kind to men. You
1: are unwell.
0: (laughs) You need to get some help. It is cool (laughs) to get some help. Like well,
1: remember that thing I posted that I think you took for me on um, Instagram where it was like in 20, I don't remember, twenty nineteen seventy-nine. 1979, actually, I think it was, it was a long time ago. It was like you, the chances of being attacked by a man were one in 12. In 2022, it's one in six. And yes, that's awful for the people who are being attacked. Absolutely. No, it, was like,
0: it wasn't even that long ago. It was like in 90, it was like in 94 or something, something like that. You, there was a one in 22 chance of being attacked by a man. It was one in 12 is one in 12. I remember because I was like, damn, I thought that was high. Oh, right. You're (laughs) right. You're right. It was one in 12. And now in 2021, it's one in six. Oh, you have a one in six chance of being attacked by a man. What the fuck? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to look at some of the sources for that. I always I've got to consider the source. But still, I mean, but I don't feel like there's any, I don't feel like there's a lot of controversy around controversy around the statement that like. Violence has gotten—it's uh, a bigger thing now. Um, men being violent against women—I don't even think it's that in nineteen ninety-four, ninety-six, or whenever that your chances were one in twelve. I think that was how much you were hearing about it. Mm. I think it's always been bad. I think it's always. I been also bad.
0: think it has something to do with the NRA. To be honest, the way that the NRA mm. has shown up and been so narcissistic and unapologetic as an entity and um the way it has become a symbol of freedom right and a symbol of that amuses me but yes I understand what you're saying exactly it's like this whole vibe around to be able to murder is to is to be a real American it's so uh wrong you know and it's so dark and it is literal it's like the celebration of violence which actually you know The United States has always celebrated We're I was gonna say we were found in that. Like we were like, Hey, thanks so much
1: for taking care of us. We are going to take your land and kill you now.
0: But I mean, like all all if you look at the history of really anywhere, it's all about violence, you know. Yeah. Like no country was, it was just like very kindly and, you know, diplomatically set up. It's all, I mean, we just, we have just this lengthy history. Well, except for an indigenous cultures, indigenous cultures who showed up and were like, oh,
1: we're just going to start this here. Although I guess there's something to be said. I mean, there were warring tribes oh, sure. and whatnot, yeah. but they had, they had a certain respect for the land, Yes, you know, that, that we just, we don't no. share. Um, and, and I think that that's because they had a healthy respect for for lack of a better term, I mean, the idea of mother earth, femininity, the idea of yeah. birthing new things and life, they had a real respect for life, which women can be a stand in. This is a different podcast now, but women can be a stand in for because we are able to create life. Just like God, we create life. We create life. I created it
0: a twice,
1: a twice, you know, and uh, and I'm just saying that maybe the, the whole like, well, the opposite of that is that we can take it that's all we got. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you can give it, but we can take it. Who? Which one of us is more powerful now, bitch?
0: That's the attitude I get sure, about it. totally, hundred percent. That is correct. And speaking of femininity and celebrating life and joy and uh, the 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 creation and and letting go of life, how are you taking care of yourself? Oh, I cry a lot. Um, I have his blanket. Yeah. Uh, I sleep with it now. Um,
1: yeah. And Michael is, he's like, don't rub the smell off. And I'm like, the smell of farts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's had this blanket. Literally, we were going through, this is my, my dog's blanket. Um, I was going through pictures and literally this has been on his bed for like 11 years. Like he's had this blanket on his bed since he is was a Is it a, baby.
0: is it a, um it's a bear's blanket yeah totally that's a bear's blanket because he was named after
1: dick buckus uh which is hilarious because from what i understand dick buckus was like this really aggressive mean player and buckus was, buckus was the
0: sweetest dog just he was just the
1: sweetest babiest
0: the sweetest most loving yeah he did fart a lot he farted a, a lot. lot and they were um, just fucking room clear unbearable
1: yeah. <laughs> well and like he would he we have a two-story house and so up until last year um and really up until just like about a month and a half ago he would come upstairs and sleep with us most of the time in my room and so I just got used to it you know like just getting woken up but also like he made lots of noises like <sighs> you know just like in the middle of the night he would just like I don't know if it was a sneeze or what he was doing just like throat clearing like the dog's version of a throat clearing um but I have like we went through and we we did the Day of the Dead for him and we put up our altar. And I like I said, I have his blanket here that Michael has been very concerned that I'm going to get rid of the smell of uh, the dog smell. But I'm like, I don't really think that that's possible. So it's just uh, permanently
0: fart smell embedded in the fibers. Yeah. Just infused yeah.
1: Um, with the smell of dog sweat and farts. So, you know, I mean, and I have I have two kids to take care of around this because they're I mean, my. I, my my daughter is very much like my husband in that she's just like, everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, it's okay if you fall apart. She's like, sure, is it? <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, we're going to work on that. And then my son, who falls apart immediately, and like, you know, for five, he's just, he's very, like, his thing was like, I what if I forget about him? And, you know, and I was just like, I mean, it just struck me right in my core, because he's five.
0: He is going
1: to forget no, something. I
0: him. remember, don't you remember fucking... I remember uh what was the cat
1: oh this is not a I'm not Flossie. No. You want to talk about Flossie? No,
0: Crispin. Oh to Oh God. And we were little when we had Crispin. I was probably three. Yeah. And you were five. Yeah. And we remember Crispin. Yeah. Crispin uh murdered our hamster. <laughs> Several hamsters,
1: but that was our fault because we kept taking them out of the cages and but being But also like... the hamsters
0: would escape the cages and then Crispin would murder them and that is why I, maybe I remember Christmas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that I want him to remember Buckus in a traumatic way, however, no. um, but like, I mean, yes, he's going to remember that Buckus existed, but he's not going to remember what he felt like, yeah. you know, he's not going to remember playing with him. He's just, and, but the thing was, he was never going to remember that Buckus was never going to live to be 25, yeah. you know, that, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's part of the heartbreak of having pets. It is is that you know that you only get them for a short time yeah. and you just pretend that's not if true I can, <laughs> if
0: i can get um all all spiritual on you for a second there is a beautiful khalil gabran poem khalil gabran was um just a fucking f- phenomenon who occurred in the 19th century i believe he i think he was iranian persian um i could be oh I think he was Lebanese, actually. Um, Someone feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about (laughs) that. I don't know exactly. Anyway, he wrote a book called The Prophet, where um, it was like a series of poems about, it it was like a a prophet shows up in a community and the people ask him questions. And one of the questions was, tell us about um, joy and sorrow. And he has this beautiful... um, this beautiful metaphor about like the lute that you play music from is carved with knives, and i I always think about that in times of loss, like we experience the grief because of the joy if you hadn't had so much joy with Buckus, you wouldn't be experiencing the grief that you have now, and that is part of you cannot have joy without grief and you cannot have grief without joy, and it's just part of our a human experience you know
1: well and that's what the kids and i've been talking about is i'm like the depth of the grief was the depth of the love yeah. like you can only grieve something as hard as you loved it and you know and that's why i'm grieving him so hard it's like he was really my first baby yeah. you know we got him i put up a whole memorial about him on facebook um we got this dog because my husband wanted a kid and we were freshly married and i was like oh you know what <laughs> How about that dog you wanted? How about that? How about not a um,
0: watermelon out the vajay.
1: <laughs> How about we just give that one? Just let's just take a little breathing room I on that. that. Um but yeah, we, we ended up with this dog. And of course, I didn't know what I was doing because, you know, we had we had like two very brief dog experiences as children that did not work uh, out. We had the worst case.
0: dogs. I'm sorry. Not all. I don't I don't even
1: think it was. I just think they were dogs. And like we were not mom was in no way prepared to have a dog. And we were just like kids going like, what the fuck is this? How, well, you know, but like... We
0: had cr- like one of our dogs ate our couch. <laughs> <laughs> did he eat the squiggy Wiggy yeah. ate the fucking like just went to town on one of the cushion couch cushions he also i have ate,
1: memories of that he ate yeah. my scooter Squ- rose- and he ate rose bushes there was something up with that, that dog it
0: was a disturbed dog i mean he didn't bite us or anything no but he he was very sweet yeah he was just like he he was manic what i can, he was manic what i can t- he yeah
1: because he was inside alone all day because mom worked all day we, we and- had a backyard yeah, but that I I know now because I had I as a 32-year-old, 33-year-old, I got a puppy. Um, and you can't just leave them in a room all day with food and water, but you can't, yeah, they have that. to go like, to the dog park. They have to, they, well, they need, they need to bond with their family, right. their babies. Right. And, you know, we didn't do that with, like, we went to school and mom went to work and I think she was just thought she'd get a dog and uh, things would just be
0: fine, but mom, it, that's not how mom baby does work. Mom is an worked. Aquarius. And so she's like, how does human interaction work? How does... <laughs> What do we, what do we, how do I make the bonding occur?
1: <laughs> I bought you the fur creature. <laughs> Bond now. I'm going to leave and uh, hope this all works out. This dog is going to
0: watch you guys. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> this is your babysitter, Squiggy. <laughs> oh God, it's funny because it's true. Wow.
1: Well, what I learned after Buckus is like when I when we went to get Buckus, like okay, anyway, I didn't have any experience with dogs. And so Michael took me to look at puppies, which is some major, major bullshit. Don't fall for that shit. If you walk into see a group of puppies, you're living with a puppy and that's just the way it is. I didn't make that rule. It just is what it yeah. is. So we walk in and I didn't realize Mastiffs, first of all, I didn't know they were big. Um, And I see these puppies and they're small as puppies. He was like eight pounds. I didn't know that's a big ass puppy, but okay. And he was really little and he picked me like, I'm just over what, there were 12 baby dogs. Can you fucking imagine that poor mother? I just, one was enough to kill me. And I was just sitting there being like, okay, dogs, there's so many dogs. I'm a cat person. And he was all the way across the room. And he looked at me and he was like, that's the one. And he just came over and sat in my lap and rolled over and put his like big dog paws up and passed out in my lap. Yeah. And he was, and I, the thing was, I was like, do not fall in love with this dog. Because when we got there, they were like, there's only three left. You know, nine of these have already been chosen to be adopted out. And I was like, I cannot, like, I'm sure this is, And he was one of the three left and the only male left. And and Michael was pretty clear that he wanted a male dog. So we were like, okay. And then we're leaving, you know, we had to, he was only, he was six weeks at the time. He was six weeks and like almost 10 pounds. I didn't know what that meant, mm. but apparently that means it's a, a big dog. <laughs> it's a big dog. And as I'm leaving, I see what I see a horse, like a small horse in a field, just this beautiful. Cause we're in like some uh, Acton, some part of Southern California that is like, you know, no one thinks about like Bakersfield, you know? And, um, and I'm like, oh, is that a pony? I'm like, what a weird looking pony. He's like, that's the dad. I'm like, what the fuck? His dad was 260 pounds. His dad was enormous. Yes. Buckus at his biggest was 220 pounds. And we brought that dog home, brought that dog home at like 10 pounds. Within a within six months, he was a hundred pounds. By two years, he was 200. I mean, he was huge. huge and a rock star. I could not, I mean, there are neighbors who don't know my name, but everybody knows Buckus. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm just, I'm, I am so, I feel like this is cathartic for you. Just like having these conversations. I think it's really good. I'm so glad you're sleeping with the blanket, even though it smells like poop. That's fine. It smells like fart and it's slightly different. And I would appreciate you
1: understanding the (laughs) (laughs) different. I would appreciate if you would acknowledge the nuance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well. Let's not announce to the public that I sleep with poop. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so next week we're doing H.H. H. Holmes.
1: Yeah, H.H. Um, H. Holmes, who if any of you have ever read um, Devil in the White City, I think that's the book, uh, then you're going to know who we're talking about. And if you don't, he is, I believe, America's first serial killer. Holy? Um, and a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's a, he's a, he's a real bad guy. I'm going to tell you some really scary shit. Also, I think Netflix, it could be, Apple, or but I think it's Netflix is doing Devil in the White City. They are basically making it into a movie. And it was supposed, I think it's Leo. He's a Leo. I think Leo, no, I think Leo DiCaprio is involved in it. I don't know if he's acting or if he's on the directing side. And, uh, Keanu Reeves was supposed to be in it and he backed out and I'm upset because I just Keanu Reeves is a good person and I just want to see him in all the things. And he's things. a cute, good looking person. And he's a cute, good looking person who's dating age-appropriate oh, women, God. which I find, fa- I just, it's like, the bar is so low, but still. The I'm quivers, just
0: like, the groin area what? quivers, Lord. Have you
1: seen, I saw his girlfriend a couple of years ago, his like long time girlfriend, he'd been with her for a few years and I was like, she looks older than me. I was like, that's so weird. Like, he is older than yeah us.
0: when when you consider she's an artist right. when you consider that he is also older than us it actually yeah that's what i'm makes saying a lot of
1: sense yeah yeah no absolutely but it's like you know the whole thing with leonardo dicaprio where like some oracle told him that a 26 year old was going to murder him and that's why he won't date anyone above the age like he dates all girls from the ages of 22 and then by 26 they break god. up god <laughs> is that true did did uh, did a Psychic really tell that? No, I don't think it's true. It's just, it's a, it's like a funny oh, rumor it's a that's joke. going around because he consistently breaks up with women when they turn 26. God damn it. And I'm just like, okay, but you're like 48 now. Yeah. I don't think he's that old. He's like 44, 45,
0: but still I'm like my guy. Move on, honey. It's time to move on. Maybe the reason
1: you keep breaking up with them is because they're at a slightly different phase in their life. <laughs> I just want to mention that, you
0: know, kind of the obvious thing. All right. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.